Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. My name is, of course, James Shimo, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, how's it going today, man? I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, brand new episode. I'm loving this new format we're doing, and so <laughs> we're definitely getting the ball rolling here. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, doing the weekly format, I think, is a is a really good thing. I think it'll engage our audience a lot more. Hopefully, they are. Uh, being engaged and hopefully they are tuning in and subscribing so we do appreciate it if they are while you're here go ahead and don't forget to leave us a review at the end of the episode we always appreciate it but for now just sit back and relax and listen to us ramble and absolutely get ridiculous over everything that went on this week in the world of professional wrestling so for starters let's go ahead and get into just a little bit of the overall wrestling news so uh, I figured I'd pull one out just for a little bit of nostalgia purposes for myself and Ryan. It was one year ago today that he and I were on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part Do. Um, and we're both super looking forward to going on the Triple Whammy this October, provided the ongoing global pandemic doesn't continue to be an absolute twat. Ryan, yes. if you had to pick. When we were on the cruise, what would you say is probably one of your favorite moments from that entire cruise? Oh, that is difficult. I mean, outside of the wrestling matches in general, and maybe the rock concerts, I would say my favorite moment was actually the uh, carry uh, on the ship. They had a carry. They had a bar at late night, and they would do karaoke. Mm-hmm. That would be one of my favorite moments. Like getting to hang out with so many of the fans, listening to everyone sing, have to do sing-alongs, even have some of the wrestlers make an appearance and sing because i remember uh john moxley when he was on the cruise he sang sweet caroline yep uh scu they sang california love there was one time i missed to where i heard darby allen and priscilla kelly who were still married at the time they sang uh i think they did oh they did a queen song i think it um and then, yeah they i think i heard they did bohemian rhapsody together along with john moxley interesting and then uh, then of course mjf and uh Marco Stunt made an appearance to where Marco Stunt sung, saying Tenacious D's uh, Fuck Her Gently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And who could, have, who could ever forget him and uh, Jericho doing I Wear My Sunglasses at Night? Yeah, he also sang that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, I'm kind of sorry I missed that. I, I was, I, Ryan will tell you, when the three of us went on that cruise last year, I was kind of the party pooper. I was in bed consistently prior to like, Nine ten o'clock, and that's just because of the schedule I'm used to keeping in my day job. So that's perfectly fine, man. Because I mainly have a day job as well, and I normally get myself to sleep. Me, I try to aim myself to sleep around ten or ten thirty. But because of the resting I loved, and at the same time I'm more of a night owl myself, there were sometimes I couldn't go to sleep maybe until one o'clock or two at home. But on the cruise, even though I went, I stayed up to like a certain time because we were we were having this shared moment, this great event. There was part of me that did not want to miss anything. So, so most time on the crew, I may have gone off of four, five hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, I, I respect that. Um, a lot of the stand-up comedy was some of my favorite things. Like, obviously, Gabriel Iglesias, a.k.a. Fluffy, had a nice set while he was there. Uh, yep. There's a couple of guys who were just so much fun. But if I if I had to pick one shining moment for myself, it, had, it would have had to have been the Show Me the Flare contest. Yes. Yes. I was I was a part of the the show me the flare, which is basically where we got dressed up, and there were a handful of folks who came up dressed as Ric Flair. I, of course, was the only one who thought ahead and didn't want to be like everybody else and wore a suit. 
So I feel like that that was a nice choice rather than going for the standard. And then, yeah, in the end, I ended up winning the darn thing. I got to take a picture along with the other lookalikes standing next to the nature boy himself. Uh, just to, to have that moment was was a definite bucket list thing for me. Yeah, and I, it was awesome watching you be a part of that, too. Like, I, I told you, I recorded the whole thing, but mostly your little segment when you came on and when you won. So it was just incredible. Love that you <laughs> Like you, you did it so well. You impressed the man himself, Ric Flair, which was, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a feat in 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 any case to impress the Nature Boy. But I, I mean, I'll be fair. My my interpretation of Ric Flair and my portrayal doesn't hold a candle to let's face it, Black Machismo Jay Lethal. You know, and when he when he did that whole thing with Rick and TNA, I mean that was just absolutely classic. But you know, I, I did my damnedest, and it, it it was a lot of fun. Hopefully a lot more interesting moments like that will be playing out this time around. Because, let's face it, the, the lineup is pretty stacked this year. You've got Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You've got Bully Ray. So many awesome yeah. people who are going to be there, and I personally can't wait. And one thing I did enjoy about the Jericho Cruise, like the rock concerts when he brought him, uh, he, he, the first time I finally got to experience like uh, the cover band, um, Oh my god, I'm forgetting their name, but the the all female band that covered Queen's song, the Killer like, Queens. Killer Queens, yes. Like I, I'm a fan of art people wanting to do cover songs of their favorite artists, and even now looking at music history, how even some of the best songs artists have covered from other fellow artists in the past, like Whitney Houston covering uh, "I Will Always Remember" from Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. uh, Aretha Franklin's cover of "R.E.S. Piece of Respect" is incredible, and even. Um, even now today with certain rock bands, like my most favorite cover is uh, Bad Wolves doing their, when they did their homage cover of Zombie by the Cranberries in honor of the uh, lead singer who had passed away around 2018. Mm. Like that is a great cover. And it's one of those situations, and it's one of those things like even now, uh, Chris Jericho invited, I think, another cover band that's going to be coming on in the cruise. I think it's Paradise Kitty or maybe it's another band. I believe but, it was Paradise Kitty. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but exactly. Thank you. And then I think it's just that situation where Jericho, who's a big lover of music and wants to really introduce this let this genre, or at least these pe- these bands or these acts to the world, or at least everyone on his crew, I think it's a very great thing. And it's definitely a new experience, especially because uh, some growing up, I was a big R&B, rap, uh, hip-hop, and pop fan, occasionally into rock, so listening to hardcore rock bands like Kick-Ass on board was like a very great eye-opener for me. Yeah. Now, here's here's my big question about the Triple Whammy this year. I mean, obviously, last year, we had the episode of Dynamite, which was taped on uh, on the cruise the night we were in Grand Bahama, or not Grand Bahama, that's where we're going this year, but Nassau. The question yeah, I have now is, this time around, since it's taking place over a weekend, do we think we get a pay-per-view on the cruise? Ooh. Would they, would they push full gear to October instead of November? They could, they could do that, or they could just do another small little thing in between. You never know. Well, you got a point. Yeah, kind of like what they're doing this year with Beach Break. I yeah. do kind of like that idea because it could be, yeah, it's just a one-off little special appearance that Jericho and AEW are going to put together. Yeah. Literally call it Rage at Sea. <laughs> yeah, they keep, no, one can copy my, no one can copyright that. Exactly. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... But in any case, that will wrap it up for our little reminiscing. Obviously, this is a little self-indulgent thing we decided to do. But, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's always fun to reminisce. 
Okay, uh, next up with some actual really big news. Uh, Taya Valkyrie, it appears, has left Impact Wrestling. So, yeah. as we all know, Taya Valkyrie has been a, a, key, a cornerstone of the knockouts division in Impact for the last little while. But now she is, of course, a free agent. Where do we think she will go? It's completely up in the air. Could she go to WWE to join her hubby, John Morrison? Possible. Could she go to AEW and tear it up with the likes of, you know, Hikaru Shida or Thunder Rosa or Britt Baker? Absolutely possible. We have no way of knowing. But it will definitely be interesting to follow any of the news that uh, surrounds Miss Valkyrie in terms of figuring out where she is going to go next. So, uh, Ryan, when you heard about, you know, Taya leaving impact what were your thoughts and where do you think she might go from here well um i kind of learned about it before i got a chance to watch impact so i thought did impact either address this thing and uh yeah they did in a very good uh comical way but um with her leaving i with her departing impact i think honestly at this point it is kind of the right move for her because she when she came into impact you know they were still recovered they're still building themselves up from the fallout of Dixie Carter, or at least, no, in, oh, what, the, the owl, oh my god, I forgot. Oh yeah, uh, Anthem. Anthem, yeah. They were recovering from Anthem with Billy Corgan when he was at the time trying to get ownership of the company before he, you know, decided to, you know, become the management of, a, of NWA. And Taya, she showed up, at that time her character, she went through some good character, some character changes on Impact. She came in, still a very dominant player, but when it came with her character, Nobody could really, she couldn't really grasp it amongst the Impact crowd. Because I remember her big character in the Indies, she really made herself look like some, like a goddess queen with royal blue robes and a nice crown. But it didn't seem to be chilling with her. And that's when it slowly started to transition, especially with her time at Triple A into her character, Awara Loka. Yeah. And then when, the, then when John, then when Morrison came to Impact as Johnny Impact, her and Taya, who had the, who were also part, who were doing some work on AAA and on Lucha Underground, they didn't. They kept that same chemistry going to where her, where you know Johnny Impact coming in as I'm the mayor of Slamtown, and then and then of course Taya Valkyrie continuing that little trend of being the queen of Slamtown and becoming one of the longest reigning Knockouts champion, a dominant Knockouts champion in that division, taking on a lot of all comers and that great rivalry she had with Tessa Blanchard. Yeah. It was kind of like she really, yeah, like you said, a foundation of that new division, really a, a great staple. And uh, I do hope, I do hope she may. I, I look forward to where she's gonna go. Uh, personally, for me, I don't want her to go to WWE because I, it's it's obvious they don't. They'll, they'll, they'll they will they they do draft talent for their experience and background, but they don't want to acknowledge it. So and she goes to Impact. It, it, I mean, she goes to WWE. Will she be able to maintain her brand, her name of Taya Valkyrie, or is she going to get shafted like some uh, like some of the other women who got picked up at NXT and given a new name, or will she be shot straight into the main roster? You know, it's it's unknown at this point. Uh, it's just uh, I think AEW would be much better because once again she would she would I think she would just like with the Impact division she would once again be a great foundation. And with the inclusions of Serena Deep and Thunder Rosa, she would have some great matches and rivalries. I agree. I agree. She could really do a lot better with AEW than WWE. But let's not forget, what time is it in terms of the time of year for WWE? It's Royal Rumble season. 
could yeah. she potentially show up this next Sunday in the women's Royal Rumble match? Could that be where she plans to make her debut? It's and like I said, it's entirely possible. We don't Sorry. know. I was like, what are you blowing your nose there? No, no, I was doing the little sticking on your tongue like that situation. <laughs> because it would be a great one-off appearance and will give a great cloud, but it, that's just me, you know. I, if, if wrestlers are going to show up in WWE, to me, it can't be one-off. At that point, it's like part-time situation. But, you know, if she does that Royal Rumble appearance, I think she, it deserves to be amongst a live crowd and not the digital or, you know, PC things where it's an audio crowd. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, like, she definitely deserves, like, that AJ Styles level of thing in front of a live crowd rather than in the, the belly of the Thunderdome, if you will, so. Yeah. I mean, of course, we'll get fans watching it on the Thunderdome to react like crazy. But oh, yeah. But, the, but, the, but at the same time, as WWE, they still have not nailed down how to handle their damn audio cues correctly or the audience ambience noise. Right. So, I would person I personally would want her to wait, but to her, if it's if she feels it's the right moment, then I can't say I can't argue against her logic or so. If she wants to be more closer with her husband Johnny, I mean John Morrison, then yeah, that's that's her. That's definitely her choice. I won't hold that against her. No, absolutely not. And where well, I'm sure wherever she does decide to go, she will feel that it is the best move for her and her career, at least in the moment. So. And, you know, regardless of whatever the decision is, there's there's no real reason for us to, you know, begrudge her doing what she thinks is best for her, her career, and her life. So, more power to you, Miss Valkyrie, wherever you decide to end up. Yeah, she's bet on her, she's bet on herself, and she's had it pay off. She's put, she's busted her ass throughout work, uh, uh, throughout the independent scene, throughout AAA, throughout Lucha Underground and Impact, and... If she really wants to, you know, if she feels like she's, I don't say in the twilight of her career, but if she says she wants to give it a go to see what it's going to be like for the experience or just to have that dream, then I won't say no. Like, go ahead, achieve your dream. At this point, it's going to be like a broken dream, like a la the Drew McIntyre theme song. I was just about to bring that up, you son of a bitch. (laughs) But, you know, that's fine. I mean, hopefully, I'm... I'm going to come in with all the positivity in the world, hoping that she comes out on top and she decides to go there. Yep, fair enough. All right, speaking of uh, ladies making moves, we have three new confirmed signings to NXT. We have Lacey Ryan, who will now be performing under the name Zoe Stark. The aforementioned Priscilla Kelly, who we mentioned from the Jericho Cruise, is performing under the name of Gigi Dolan. And Elena Black is now wrestling as Cora Jade in NXT. Um, and they have all, at least, yeah, all three of them will be participating in the Women's Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic this year. So overall, um, I think it's interesting that this is where these ladies decided to go. I mean, obviously, I feel like it was the best option for Priscilla because, well, let's face it, her and Darby going through a divorce and everything. Granted, it could be as amicable as possible, but even then, do you really want to share a locker room with your ex? To me, it just seems like it might cause some unnecessary problems, regardless of whether or not it was a friendly split or, or else. Um, yeah. As far as the other two, I'm not too familiar with their work, but I am curious to see how they turn out and what they do turn out. And if uh, they prove to be interesting while I'm watching their work in NXT, maybe I'll go back and check out a little bit of their pre-WWE work as well. But uh, 
Ryan, what were your thoughts when you saw that these three names had jumped to NXT, to the black and gold brand of the WWE? Well, I think with Elena Black and Lacey Ryan, I was slowly starting to look at some of their um, independent matches. I know Lacey Ryan, she had been popping up in the uh, Mission Pro Wrestling that uh, Thunder Rosa uh, is a part of, or she, she helps you know run, or she helps promote and market. So I was seeing a lot of exposure from her on that side, and I know she... Uh, she has like a very good interconnected relationship with certain independent wrestlers, um, but I, it was more of like I didn't know much about her. Same with Elena Black, but you know she, she had a great fanfare along with her. Obviously, for me, the most um, the one that got me was Priscilla Kelly because um, that disappointed me completely. Uh, I, I won't hold it against her. I'm not holding it against her. It's just that the fact that they changed all three of these ladies' names to the the, the brands they wanted to do. It's just one of the reasons why it terrifies me if Ty Valkyrie goes there. Because Priscilla Kelly, she wrestled in the Mae Young Classic under her name. And most of the women who were in the Mae Young Classic who went on to wrestle in NXT got to keep those names all outside of uh, Sonya Deville, who was Daria Baronado during the first one. But most of the women there kept their names, like Tony Storm, um, Zaya Brookside, Rhea Ripley, Dakota Kai... Raquel Gonzalez, although at the time it was uh, it wasn't Raquel when she was wrestling, yeah, I think it was Regina Gonzalez. But Mercedes Martinez, yeah, Mercedes Martinez, also um, Tegan Tegan Knox when mm-hmm. she was there. Although she was, she did have a different name in the British wrestling circuit. So, but I'm just saying, like when the when she was there in, in Mayhem Classic, it's not, it's as if WWE is going to think, oh, they won't remember her. Despite the fact that she's a different, you know, different, you know, uh, her appearance is different. Um, that's just for the casual wrestling viewer, so I get that. But it still irks me that I understand now with the WWE system, it's their own universe, their own network, their own way of doing things, so they want to keep things in-house. But with Priscilla Kelly, I understand. Darby Allen, they had an amicable relate divorce, so it could be completely awkward. Especially last year, the Jericho Cruz, she was on there. With Darby, and she only wrestled in. She only wrestled there uh, two separate times. One against Britt Baker on Di- on the recorded Dynamite episode, yep. which was written as a fucking uh, five minute match, which I thought was disappointing because those two are great wrestlers. Yeah. And then she wrestled against uh, Allie in one of the wrestling shows on the cruise. That's correct. Yeah. Well, here here's my question. Do you think that maybe WWE changing Priscilla Kelly's name has something to do with? Because I think after she appeared in the Mae Young Classic, wasn't that when the whole uh, tampon incident took place? Oh yeah, it was years. It was it was before. It was before, it was before that, that incident. Well, still, do you think maybe n- number one, we pro- we probably know that they did that in order to, you know, change her name so that they own the brand, so that way she can't really do anything outside of the company with anything with their brand and this and that. But at the same time, do you think maybe it was kind of to distance her from that so people wouldn't? look up her new ring name in WWE and go to something like that. And like, they didn't want the negative backlash from that. I can understand that. But the problem is that if, if people, you, if people look up her name, if people look up the name Gigi Dolan on YouTube or Google, there's going to be so many other links that's going to have in parentheses Priscilla Kelly, and they're going to find it anyway. Mm, that's but fair. I understand. I understand that logic they had. It's just fault. It's flawed logic yeah. at this point, but 
but at the same time, wrestlers sometimes they'll they sometimes they'll have to agree with the name, and sometimes they just can't. Yeah, and um, I, I'm gonna my personal feelings aside, I'm gonna get over it. I will watch and see what they do with them. I already know that her and Elena had their women's match against Candice and Indy Hartwell on 205 Live, so I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's kind of stuck in my craw about this week, and I know we're we're kind of. Going off on a we're tangent. We're bouncing here. over the place. Yeah, we're bouncing yeah, over the place. Yeah, but, you know, bear with us, folks. Because, I mean, this is the kind of entertainment you pay to see. Are you, uh, well, you, not really, because this is a free podcast. Yeah, subscribe, but still. Once. You subscribe for us. Yeah, this is, this is the reason why you subscribe here. So, they hype up this big, oh, the, the women of NXT are going to be have their own Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. And they put a ton of the matches on 205 Live. It's the same thing to me as when. AEW was doing their big, you know, women's tag team tournament, and they put most of the shit on dark. Like, if you're going to exemplify your women, especially with something like a Dusty Rhodes tag team classic, put it on the main show like Dusty would have wanted you to. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. And the fact that it is the first one they're doing really upset me, because, uh... You, uh, at the same time, it was uh, it was just it, it was minutes removed on New Year's Evil after they had done the whole uh, after they had announced that the, club, the the men's classic was coming back. Right, and then it it really was a bit of a disappointment. Like it's undercutting itself. That's one of the things that bothers me with the women's division on WWE. As much as people want to give crowd and and in constructive and at times rightful criticism towards AEW and the treatment of the women's division. The difference is between those two companies is miles ahead. AEW is still brand new, and they're still going to learn. At this point, they should have at least had a handle on it, and that's the biggest complaint I'll give to it. But the difference is they can still learn. WWE, on the other hand, they had decades to get this right. And even then with NXT when it was starting, of course, the women's roster at the time wasn't as big as much or wasn't as uh, intermingling and cohesive as it was with the main roster. But even then... When you keep bringing in more independent wrestlers into your NXT brand, and at the time when you had NXT UK, you think the smart thing to do would be to try to have both have some inter inter division inter inter brand matches between the UK and the NXT brand, or at least when you did a Dusty Rhodes Classic, which they should have for the women, you could have done some great uh, pairings to maybe book people's minds for fantasy matches of matches they wanted to see against women in the in the NXT division. But they kept a very single-minded approach. Maybe I don't know what their deal was. Maybe they thought it wasn't the right time. But the problem is, if you keep holding off on something that should be there, sooner or later, by the time you actually move forward with it, it's going to be an afterthought, just like with the women's tag titles. Right. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a missed opportunity. And especially, I mean, think about it. What was it, 2018? 20, I want to say it was 2018 when we got the... The first ever all women's pay per view evolution, right? It doesn't feel yeah, like that was. It doesn't feel like that was just over, just a little shy of three years ago. It feels like an eight and like an entire lifetime ago when that took place. Because every decision that WWE seems to make nowadays is to almost hide the women's division once again because they can't be bothered to actually give it the time of day. Yeah. But in any case, uh, one way or the other, we wish the best of luck to all three of these ladies. As exactly. they pursue their career in NXT, hopefully uh, they stay in NXT where they're actually going to get some spotlight rather than get bumped up to the main roster where they're just going to drop the ball completely. Like they did with Deonda Perrazzo, and now you see her on Impact. Like she's really turned things around. Oh, yeah. All right. 
So with that, let's go ahead and get into the highlights for this week, starting off, of course, with Monday Night Raw. Uh, Of course, with Monday being Martin Luther King Day, we get the prerequisite Martin Luther King package. They always do a pretty good job with those, so I'm not I'm not going to hate on them too bad for that, and especially when you're honoring somebody of the the, the legacy that that Martin Luther King has, I'm, I can't really poke too many holes in something like that. Uh, very next thing we get is a uh, promo by Randy Orton. He's wearing a mask in order to hide the burns on his face from when Alexa Bliss threw the fireball at him the previous week. Says he has no more compassion than that. He does not care what the Fiend's ultimate goal is. He's still going to go into the Royal Rumble. He's still going to win the darn thing, and then he will deal with the Fiend once that is over. Uh, Once we finish up with that, we get a recap of what happened between Lacey Evans and Charlotte Flair last week, and then we go to a match between Charlotte Flair and Lacey's tag team partner, Peyton Royce. Uh, Peyton gets the jump on Charlotte before the bell, but eventually Charlotte is able to fight back and is completely in control. That is until Lacey Evans comes out alongside Ric Flair to Ric Flair's music, and Lacey is wearing one of Ric's signature robes. This, of course, gets Charlotte's attention, allowing Peyton Royce to capitalize. But again, even with the capitalization from Peyton Royce, Charlotte continues to fight back and goes after, of course, Peyton Royce's knee. She then is able to hit the figure four into the figure eight in order to get the win via submission. Charlotte, of course, obviously being pissed off about everything that's going on with Lacey, keeps the hold on even after the bell rings, so the refs have to pull her off of Peyton Royce. So again, it's nice to see we're getting maybe a little bit of an edge to to Charlotte a little bit, you know, rather than just the... I mean, granted, we've, we've seen an edge from her as a heel before, but it's nice to see a babyface actually have a little bit of an edge to him and not actually take any shit from their opponents like WWE so often likes to do. No, just smile and, you know, say fuffer and fuck a tash and all this other kind of crap. In any case, uh, then we get a backstage statement with the Hurt Business and Riddle. I, I still hate calling him that. It's Matt Riddle, damn it. Um, Lashley, of course, is, you know, talking back and forth because uh, Riddle goes and, you know, comments on everything that they're wearing. He's, he's positive, but he's, it's almost backhanded compliments as what in, a, in regards to what he's doing. And eventually Lashley stomps on Matt uh, Riddle's feet. Uh, then he leaves. Riddle eventually has to get it taped up because he and the Lucha House Party will be having a match later tonight against three members of the Hurt Business. Uh, then we go to Xavier Woods taking on Mace, featuring, uh, you know, one of the players of Retribution. Uh, before then, we get a promo from Ali with a nice little, you know, a nice change of pace for WWE, a little continuity when Ali mentions that, you know, it was a couple of years, actually about this time last year, he went out with an injury and Kofi Kingston took over and completely dominated and became, you know, Kofi Mania was born and this and that. So I can easily see that. Actually, it was almost a little over two years ago now that I think about it. I misspoke. Um, But with that being said, Xavier punches Ali before the bell, which obviously fires up Mace. Ali has to to hold him back. Uh, Woods is fighting from underneath the whole time because, let's face it, uh, Mace is just too damn big and too damn strong. Eventually, Mace is able to win after a fireman's carry and almost like a -a tilt-a-whirl side slam in order to pin Xavier Woods. And obviously this is building until when Kofi Kingston comes back and probably we're going to get a program between Retribution and the New Day, if not uh, Kofi Kingston and Mustafa Ali themselves. Uh, Next we get uh, Alexa's Playground, uh, where she comes out and is just sitting on her swing set. Eventually Asuka uh, uh, comes out. But before any of this starts, Asuka is interviewed backstage. And this, this was weird. When Asuka was interviewed back there, she's cut off in the middle of what she's saying by the recap of 
Alexa throwing a fireball in Randy Orton's face. And then when the clip is done, they cut back to Asuka, who it seems like has been talking throughout the entire time that the video was playing. And we only get about half of what was going on, not even that, and we missed the good, the really interesting middle portion, which would have filled us in on a lot of the the need-to-know information. So that was just odd. I want, uh, Kevin Dunn must have been asleep at the wheel there. I'm uh, not exactly sure what happened. But eventually, like I said, Alexa is in the ring. She's mocking Randy Orton, saying, hey, if you need uh, need a good recommendation on where to get some sunscreen, you know, I got I got the hookup. Oscar uh, enters, uh, you know, she's trying to, Trying to, you know, play it off, just kind of be nice so that way Alexa's dark side doesn't come out. Uh, Alexa does not allow her to sit on the empty swing because I guess that's where the spirit of the fiend is sitting or, you know, whatever, you know, imaginary friend she's created. I wonder if uh, maybe she went where R-Truth found little Jimmy. Uh, but eventually Oscar tries to have fun with Alexa. Alexa's not having it. And even when, you know, Alexa uh, starts kind of getting really emotional, Oscar tries to comfort her. And then when she mentions the fiend, Alexa just really really gets upset, and that's where the segment ends. So, okay, interesting. Um, again, playing up the fact that Alexa is slipping deeper and deeper into the Fiend's world and allowing that that supernatural stuff to take over. Uh, then we move from one talk show segment into another, uh, or at least we get ready to, as we preview The Miz and Morrison have the dirt sheet later tonight with special guest Goldberg. wonder how that's going to turn out. Uh, anyway, next we get Mandy Rose in a one-on-one match against Shayna Baszler. Uh, we get some dissension shown between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler backstage prior to the match. And again, another example of just really awkward cuts. In the middle of getting ready for this match, Mandy Rose has already made her way out. We're waiting on Shayna Baszler. We cut to Jeff Jarrett, a video from him, saying that he thinks Goldberg is going to win against McIntyre this coming Sunday. And then we go back to the Shayna and... Mandy Rose match, which, again, it's just odd placement. Uh, Anaya is on commentary for the match. Obviously, the commentators are trying to goad her into, hey, what's going on with all this, you know, this infighting that you and Shayna have been doing? Obviously, you know, it's it's the Royal Rumble every woman for herself, but, you know, Anaya doesn't seem too happy about that. Eventually, uh, Mandy is fighting as valiantly as she can, but eventually Shayna is ultimately able to cinch in the Kirafuda clutch in order to win via submission. Uh, Shayna and Nia continue to argue on the outside, which allows Dana Brooke to attack Nia from behind, kicking her into Shayna Baszler, and both women go into the post. Uh, Dana and Mandy bail and head up the ramp while, Char- uh, well, excuse me, uh, Nia and Shayna are still arguing. Uh, then we get a backstage promo with Charlotte who says, you know, Lacey Evans can keep these mind games going all she wants because you can wear my dad's robe all you want, but you will never wear my crown. You know, typical... Typical promo from the Queen. Uh, we get a Universal title match recap from uh, Friday on SmackDown when Adam Pearce got the one over on Roman Reigns. Uh, we then get uh, a scene of Ricochet and Adam Pearce backstage. AJ Styles interrupts. The two are getting ready to have a match up next. Uh, Ricochet versus AJ. Great, like I said, great back and forth match. Obviously, we've seen these two go at it before uh, when back when AJ was holding the United States title. So obviously, we knew where they were gonna they were gonna deliver. But I even I. Did not expect what happened in this match in order to finish it off. So uh, Ricochet and AJ are fighting up against the ropes. Eventually, uh, AJ's got him in the front chancery like he's going to go for a suplex. Picks up Ricochet, tosses him onto the top rope. Ricochet bounces off the top rope, back into Styles, and he's set up incredibly perfectly for the Styles clash 
in order for AJ to win via pinfall. I, I mean, just when I thought AJ had pulled out all the ridiculous tricks he could to get into that maneuver, he goes and does this, which I think was just fantastic. Then we get into the dirt sheet. Miz and Morrison are hyping up the appearance by Goldberg. But of course, when they go to introduce him, it's really just Gilberg for crying out loud. And he comes out, the guys are holding the sparklers, hitting him with a fire extinguisher. And then eventually after a little bit of uh, back and forth between Gilberg and Miz and Morrison, a knockoff Drew McIntyre comes out there in a ridiculous wig, a tiny little dagger instead of that big Claymore sword. A absolutely awful Scottish accent. But eventually, this is all interrupted when Miz and Morrison claim that the Miz is going to be the one to ultimately walk away from the Royal Rumble this Sunday with the WWE Championship because he is planning to cash in his money in the bank. Whether or not that actually happens is yet to be seen. All right, next we go to the match between Bobby Lashley, Cedric Alexander, and Shelton Benjamin of the Hurt Business versus Riddle and Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik, otherwise known as the Lucha House Party. Uh, the Hurt Business is in control for the majority of the match, but again, we see the tension brewing between Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. Cedric's the young, cocky upstart, whereas Benjamin's the seasoned veteran, and Cedric doesn't want to listen. Eventually, Benjamin at one point shoves Cedric out of the ring, just shoves him on his ass and right out of the ring. Uh, and eventually, though everything is able to get moving in a direction where uh, Lashley is the legal man, locks in the Hurt Lock on Grand Metalik, Metalik taps out, but again, Benjamin and Alexander are still arguing, which allows Riddle to hit a cheap shot in order to uh, go, off, go off the air, or not off the air, but at least leave the, the ringside area with a little bit of retribution, no pun intended, against the Hurt Business. Uh, then we get Elias and Jackson Riker backstage. Jackson Riker says he's going to fight uh, Jeff Hardy tonight and you know make sure that Jeff Hardy accepts the universal truth of Elias. Uh, we then get a Drew McIntyre promo video where he says he's going to be back next week and he's going to stand face-to-face -face with Goldberg before they uh, go into their match at the Royal Rumble. We then go to Jeff Hardy versus Jackson Riker. Riker has the upper hand for the majority of the match, but eventually Jeff is able to fight back. Goes up to the top rope for the Swanton. However, Elias shoves him off the top rope, which causes Hardy to win via disqualification. Riker and Elias begin to argue, at which point Hardy takes a nice little cheap shot at Elias. Goes back to come off the ropes to attack Riker, but Riker ca catches him in an almost a black hole slam kind of situation in order for the heels to stand tall. And then last but not least, we get Alexa versus Asuka. And this is a, a really strong match. Uh, no matter what Asuka seems to do to her, Alexa is just smiling the entire time. And then at one point, the lights start to go down and Alexa has a completely different wardrobe, completely different lipstick, all different makeup. And right in the middle of the match, she gets a lot more aggressive. Uh, she goes for the mandible claw several times on Asuka, who fights back, but eventually Alexa is able to hit the sister Abigail for the pinfall victory. Alexa Bliss has officially pinned the Raw Women's Champion, so giving her a little bit of momentum heading in to the Royal Rumble. Ryan, for my brief little description here, what all do you make of this episode of Raw? Do you think it was at least a step in the right direction, or do you think it's just more spinning their wheels, throwing shit at the wall, trying to see what sticks? Clearly nothing of that shit is sticking, honestly. Uh, but the only two notable, the few notable things I took out from Raw was Alexa, honestly. I'm not, I, look, I was digging what they were doing with her, with Bray Wyatt and The Fiend, to where she's like a brainwashed member, but now who's, who's truly drinking the Kool-Aid. But then after they burned The Fiend's character, she's, 
turning literally into a child. Um, throwing that tantrum, wanting to get burned, the whole play area. Now, Alexa's playground sounded like they have a fun thing to more like they can play on the t on the creepy kid uh, like uh, trope in horror movies, to where kids are just being are just being nice, but to hide the menace and the sinister like nature inside them. But nope, I guess in Vince's mind, she's just an eleven year old child. But the match itself, I think. Look, Asuka clearly is doing her best, and she is doing her damnedest to make this look scary and intimidating. And I give all props to her. I'm giving all props to Alexa for trying to make it work. Just, unfortunately, Vince should not have tried to tweak anything. It should have been to where the uh, Bray, it should have been to where Bray Wyatt and Alexa of the Firefly Funhouse should have been to where, look, I don't want to keep spinning my wheels on this. I just feel like it, was a, it wasn't, the, it's not a smart direction. But if this is going to lead to where we're going to get a Alexa versus Asuka match, they have been keeping Alexa out of the ring for a while, so I'm pretty sure she is shaping up. She's uh, really tuning herself up in the performance center or wherever training. So I think she is going to be a little bit much better. And that's all my thoughts on Alexa and Asuka. Next up, what's Vince, once again, he's back on that thing of trying to break of break up tandems again. He should, we should not get this tease early on about breaking up the Hurt Business. We are just one month removed of them getting the team Raw Tag Titles at, uh, at TLC. And Bobby Lashley is U U.S. Champion. Now we're getting the tease that there's nothing right going, that all of a sudden promotion is breaking down. I don't need a team, I don't need a breakup with these guys. They were the one solid like heel faction in 2020 that was able to at least keep the story moving forward for the faces, or at least for any for any matches. So now all of a sudden, Vince like it's a new year. What what can I do with them now? It shows uh, the small the, the narrow minded thinking that Vince has. Now, thankfully, they're not doing anything trash with Lashley. Lashley is just being dominant as always. Although that backstage thing with Riddle, to where he does a childlike bullying tandem where he steps on his feet. That was kind of, I, I, I thought it was stupid, but that's just me, maybe because I just don't like the bullying tropes anymore. Well, you know, as far as Vince McMahon's comedy is concerned, the stupider the better. Yeah. And um, it didn't make, and also real getting a cheap shot and not really having much of a backbone against Lashley in that backstage segment hurts him even more as a face. Yeah. Um, it's, but uh, obviously the biggest takeaway for me is the AJ and Ricochet match. Now, hmm. one thing for sure, I, I don't like the circumstances of how this match came together. Ricochet should not have gone to Adam. I don't like it. Every other wrestler on that roster is saying, I'm going to be in the Rumble. I'm going to be in the Rumble. But who, but, uh, apparently Ricochet has to ask. Like, they, they're, they're turning Ricochet to a bigger geek, unfortunately. Now, Ricochet, he has shown he's a great wrestler. He can give you some great athletic performances for entertainment value. And Vince should definitely be bound Vince is stupid to think that Ricochet should not be in the Royal Rumble. He can almost do the same stuff that Kofi can do for those special to avoid eliminations almost better. Yeah. And he decides, well, I'm just going to throw you into an a qualifying match against AJ Styles. Uh, one, it was obvious AJ was going to be in the Royal Rumble. Nothing that nothing was going to change my mind there. Well, AJ had and already now, declared for the Rumble, so it wasn't like he was going to lose his spot from it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like that's my exact same opinion. Like, it, it wasn't if, – if the stakes could have been much better is that if Ricochet was fighting AJ Styles to take AJ's spot. Right. 
that that angle would have been ten times better and made the match much more memorable. So then the following Raw, Ricochet can once again fight for a spot in the Royal Rumble or just out loudly say he's going to, and that can lead to him in a scuffle with Adam Pierce, so where Pierce can try to assert his authority. It's that much easier to think about it when you're not rushing uh, two hours before the show has to air. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's unfortunate, but I mean, let's face it. I mean, people wonder why the Undertaker went on his went on record on the Joe Rogan show and said that the WWE product is soft because none of it makes a damn bit of sense anymore. That's why. Yeah. But in yeah, any well, case, yeah. that was something we probably should have brought up in the news headlines, but I figured everybody had already heard about it, so why bother? But in any case, let's move on then to NXT. So the night begins with Kushida and Leon Ruff going up against Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory. Uh, a lot of back-and-forth action in this match. Really great. Both got, All four guys look really, really good, especially Leon, who's got his you know usual high-flying style. Again, guy looks like you just you know snapped him off a, a set of string beans, but the guy knows how to move and he knows how to make... He knows how to sell and he knows how to make his, his opponents look good. But at one point, uh, Ruff tries to go for the hot tag to Kushida, but Gargano is smart enough to pull Kushida down off the apron. Uh, but eventually, Kushida does get the tag, heads in, and pins Johnny Gargano with an interesting variation on a Northern Lights suplex. It almost like he like he went for a double Kimura lock and then hit the hit a Northern Lights suplex to pin and win. So Gargano and Austin Theory are out. Now, do we think that maybe that is going to lead into Gargano and Theory costing them their next match in the Dusty Classic to get them eliminated? So that way, that continues that storyline? Possibly, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Uh, Pete Dunne had, then had a video package the next, basically saying he's coming after Finn Balor. Then we get to see Malcolm Blivens outside of uh, William Regal's office. He's there with Tyler Rust. Rust went in and kind of talked to Regal without consulting Blivens first. And uh, he comes out and says, you know, we got oh, we got the match that we were looking for. It's going to be against Bronson Reed. And Malcolm, of course, is absolutely not happy. Uh, then we get a, a squiggity squash match, as Brian Zane would say, uh, between Karrion Cross and Ashanti the Adonis. Uh, Cross ends up laying him out with a handful of slams, hits multiple forearms to the back of the neck, gets the pin in the win, and then locks Desmond Troy in the cross jacket uh, after the match. Desmond Troy, for those of you who don't know, is Shantae the Adonis' tag team partner in the Dusty Classic. Uh, we then get an MSK hype package, which was pretty awesome. We then see Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez backstage giving a promo. They basically say, hey, we don't need to be best friends in order to win like our opponents tonight. We just need to be ass kickers, essentially. Uh, then we get a match of with Imperium versus the Lucha House Party. There's a lot of great double-team offense on the part of both teams in this match. But eventually, in a, I, what I would say is a shocking upset, Lince Dorado hits a nice shooting star press in order to win the match. Lucha House Party advance, Imperium is left out on the cold. And then eventually, uh, at the end, we see Alexander Wolf, who, of course, is another member of Imperium, just standing on stage, staring down his compatriots, throws his arms behind his back in the typical Imperium salute. The other two do the same following suit. So what in the world is going on with this? Uh, we get a weigh-in, a backstage segment for the weigh-in for the fight pit match. I just wrote, who cares? Doesn't matter. We don't need to see all this stuff. Just put him in the fight pit and let him go. Uh, then we go to the match between Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez against the team of Casey Catanzaro and... Uh, oh, why am I forgetting her name? Uh, I've got it written. I've got her last name right now. Caden Carter. Caden Carter, thank you. I had Carter written down, but I couldn't remember her first name. <laughs> That's okay. But eventually, um, you know, it's a solid match, but eventually Io Shirai comes out and gets 
uh, in, or at least get some shots in, tries to, you know, uh, get uh, Mercedes Martinez's attention because let's face it, she has uh, said that she's kind of coming coming after that belt, as has Raquel Gonzalez, uh, and I think it gets Eo St- uh, Tony Storm's attention. I said Eo Storm, good God, Tony Storm's attention uh, to where Casey Catanzaro is able to get the win after that distraction. So again, another upset victory. This was this was the night of the upsets in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, which I questioned them wanting to do all of these in one night, but it was still fairly interesting. Uh, Finn Balor is backstage talking to Regal, says he wants a shot at Pete Dunne, but he's not playing Dunne's game right at the moment. Instead, he asked for a handicap match against Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Regal says he can have the match as long as he finds a tag, a tag team partner. He cannot go into, into a handicap match against those guys. Balor says, I don't want a partner. Regal says, get one or else. Then we go to Tyler Rust versus Bronson Reed. Uh, Tyler is, you know, trying his best, putting every single, you know, bit of heart and soul he can in this fight, but Bronson Reed is just too strong, too quick. Lays him out with a tsunami from the top rope in order to win the match. Uh, backstage, Finn Balor goes looking for a partner, doesn't even really mince words, goes straight to the Undisputed Era, looks at Kyle O'Reilly and says, look, I don't want a partner, but Regal's having me get one. What do you say? And after a good little bit, Kyle O'Reilly accepts. Uh, Then for a change, we get a Santos Escobar promo. When was the last time we actually saw the NXT Cruiserweight Champion cutting a promo in the ring? It feels like an eternity ago. Uh, But eventually, Lucha House Party does interrupt, along with an interruption from Kurt Stallion, who basically is saying, hey, you know, ignore what's going on with these guys. I'm the one you need to worry about, all that stuff. Uh, eventually, uh, Legado del Fantasma do try to get the upper hand on uh, the Lucha House Party as well as Kurt Stallion, but they are able to uh, they're able to fight Legado off. And of course, we then get confirmation that Santos Escobar will be defending his cruiserweight championship next week against Kurt Stallion. Uh, we get a nice uh, promo between Drake Maverick and Killian Dane hyping up their matches in the Dusty Classic. I, I would be tickled pink if those guys actually went on to win this whole thing. And then we go to the fight pit. Tommaso Ciampa versus Timothy Thatcher. Stiff, stiff, stiff fucking match. Just absolutely brutal. So many great counters and holds and strikes and just all kinds of good stuff. And eventually, Ciampa does go for the fairy tale ending, hits it, but Thatcher kicks out. And then Thatcher ends up getting one of Ciampa's feet tied up in like the separation between the cage sections, locks in almost like a stretch muffler on his other leg, and Ciampa taps out. Timothy Thatcher is 2-0. and oh in the fight pit. Awesome, awesome way to cap off this night of action. Ryan, your thoughts. I unfortunately was unable to see the fight pit, though, because I was watching NXT, and then I just forgot to get a chance to watch it. But even then, I'm still going to watch it because I heard exactly how hard-hitting that match was. And, hey, Timothy Thatcher comes out on top, that's fine, because Thatcher, for a while, he had been on a bit of a... I won't say a losing streak, but he's kind of been given this role to where people can get wins on him, but he doesn't lose at all. So I think him getting this nice victory over Champa will help him push, will definitely be a great boost to him. And also help solidify him when it comes to solidify the fight pit as well. Yeah, he's 2-0. and And so also with Thatcher, this can be his kind of signature style match. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a it just... Again, because we're not used to seeing this type of match that often, you know, we get brutal matches all the time with that fight pit and everything like that, but it's just this. 
it, it, yeah, that that thing seems to be on a whole nother level. But I hope they don't make the mistake of booking too many of these in too quick succession because then it's going to take the the specialness out of it. Yeah, that's why. Uh, hopefully, it's just going to be. That's why. Hopefully, this is just going to be for Thatcher only. They don't have to constantly have to bring this off for every other feud that's going to end in that they wanted to end. Like make it a gimmick match. This gimmick should only be to Thatcher purely, just for his uh, technical ability and and the and the kind of bruiser and the kind of brawler style he gives in the ring. But um, outside of that match, that I missed. Yeah, some of the Desi Rhodes Classic matches did throw me off a bit. I thought the one match I thought should have deserved that surprise uh, twist was Kaden and and Kaden and Casey versus Storm and Mercedes because of the fact that Shirai got herself involved and it's more of her trying to get some payback against Mercedes for for jumping her. And also, it's kind of I don't know exactly how the the tournament's gonna go out, but Casey and Kaden they have been one of the more longer running partnerships. In NXT, even before when the crowds left, they were themselves forming as a tag team. So they would be the more wise choice to have them advance somewhere near the semifinals or at least the finals itself. Yeah. Now with although her that 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 uh that move she did off of the turnbuckle onto Tony that looked a, almost a little uh, nasty for a second. Yeah, just a hair. Yeah, just by a hair, but likely because of Casey and her um. Her body type and her experience as a gymnast and being on American Ninja Warrior and having like the true fitness background, she's able to at least she can still be able to pull that off where it it, it won't seriously hurt anybody. Now, uh, with the the with Johnny and Austin versus Kushida and Leon, that one I thought did that was I thought that was a bad pick having Kushida and Leon win. Because if they're gonna keep advancing the Dusty Rhodes classic it means that neither of them are going to have their attention towards Johnny Gargano for that North American championship. It made more sense if Johnny and Austin had moved forward. We get more ego centric. We get more ego from Johnny Gargano, believing that he's going to win the classic and then become a two belt champion and then have a dash from him later on. That way you, you form this little uh, delusional, almost madness with Johnny to where he's going to do anything to keep the North American championship. Especially now, also the fact that it seems that so far, the challengers for his title, I mean, Priest is clearly out of the equation after his match against Cross. Kushida has a win over Johnny from that mixed, from that energy, from that mixed tag match with, with, with Shotzi. Leon Ruff is clearly going to go back at him, but he's further back on the line. And then also from last week's NXT, he had went up against uh, Desmond Dexter Loomis, who is definitely another contender for that championship. So it made more sense to maybe have Johnny slightly removed from the North American title, from, from the, you know, from the, from the title picture with his three uh, uh, potential opponents. And I would focus on the Dusty Rhodes classic. Then once he and Austin lose, he can re- once again, reshuffle his focus. Right. It, it, felt, it felt better that way. But even then, the match was still good. At least a great showcase for Austin Theory, you know, really showing this little tandem he has with Johnny to where even though Johnny is pretty much the, the, the person in charge, Theory, since, since he's the younger, more athletic amongst them, he's willing to be able to take the fight to Kushida or the, even the younger Leon Ruff. I mean, this, like I said, was a great showing for Austin. Yeah, absolutely was. All I, right. I think, oh, I think I have one more thing on NXT. Oh, yeah. 
Beth Phoenix, yeah. The, she's finally actually on commentary desk with yeah. Barrett and uh, Vic. Which, of course, in the beginning, she was still doing commentary, but they probably had her in a different area, I think, at the time, maybe because of, you know, COVID situation. Yeah, I think I think just, they had her had her uh, doing commentary from a, from a remote location, like through Skype yeah. or something like that, maybe. No, I think she, I, I, yeah, maybe sometimes it was through, yeah, sometimes it was through Skype. Other times I think she was probably in a separate building because there was no way that audio could have came in as clear with Beth if she was doing most of it on Skype, personally, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but yeah, it was great to see her back on the desk. It's great to have her back in person in NXT, so all kinds of fun stuff. Can't wait to see, uh, can't wait to see what happens for her in the future. And now, obviously... Granted, the, the women's division has grown quite a bit in the WWE over the last number of years. Do we think Beth makes it into the Rumble this Sunday? I don't think so. I uh, I mean, she had a great performance at last year's Rumble. It's just that... Uh, I, I just don't know. I, I'm unsure about it, honestly. I mean, it's 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 worth considering because she's been in what two of the la- two of the last three, however long it's been. So yeah, I mean, if she gets in the rumble, she's probably going to be one of the later later entrances, maybe like after the number twenty one or twenty or twenty one. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so with that, we'll move into the SmackDown highlights, and this will be the last little bit you'll hear from me, at least until uh, Ryan asks me for my thoughts on any of the other stuff. So to start things off, Roman Reigns is in the ring for a promo. In order to kick off the show, obviously he's not happy about the little subterfuge that Adam Pearce pulled on him last week. He says that Kevin Owens was supposed to be here for a message tonight, but he won't be because I said he can't be here. Uh, apparently his security has thrown him out of the building. Uh, again, he's not very happy about what happened last week. He mentions how you know he doesn't respect the man who you know complains whenever he has an injury and tries to snake something out of it. And he mentions he stayed home to protect his health and his family. And that was the last time that he went home and thought of his, himself before actually putting in the work and coming to work. Uh, calls Adam Pierce a puss, which I'm, I was surprised they let him get away with. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't censor that. Um, you know, he says, you know, there's a number of different injuries that he has, but he's still there to work. His shoulders, his legs, his knees, his neck, and his back hurting because he's been carrying the company for the last number of years. Eventually, Adam Pearce interrupts. He's kind of sick of all this, says things are spiraling out of control. Roman says the only thing that's out of control is Pearce and his behavior, thinking he can actually do anything on his show. Uh, you know, he's you know putting Kevin Owens in in matches after matches just because they're buddies. He calls Pearce Kevin Owens' bitch, which definitely makes him Roman's bitch. And uh, even then, it says that Roman, it, uh, Roman says it's no wonder the, WWE, uh, the Pearce never made it to the WWE uh, since all he does is complain. Eventually... Uh, after he says that, Paul Heyman starts laughing a little bit. Pierce gets hot, gets in Heyman's face for laughing, and Heyman says, you know what, I'll tell you what. You really want to do something about this? We'll have Adam Pierce versus Paul Heyman in the main event if you really want to test me. So, yeah, we get this match set for the main event, which, gee, I can't see that going sideways at all. <clears throat> Eventually, Sami Zayn does come out and he stages his own little protest, sort of a sit-in, where he handcuffs himself to the barricade at ringside and just has his documentary crew just filming him the entire time while he holds up ridiculous protest signs. Uh, eventually, 
Uh, we move into the next match, which is a, tag, a women's tag team match. Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Hey, remember when the fact was that the women's tag team champions could show up on either show? Looks like WWE finally remembered that. So, yes, Asuka and Charlotte Flair are up against the Riot Squad with Billy Kay, of course, at ringside. Uh, the Riot Squad do manage to take control of Charlotte at some point. Uh, Asuka is eventually able to tag in. At one point, Liv goes for an insigiri, but is caught in the ankle lock which Asuka then transitions into a nice German suplex. Uh, Ruby tags in while Liv is in the beginnings of the Asuka lock. Uh, at one point, uh, Ruby goes for a nice little roll-up to try to pin Asuka, but Billy Kay has the ref distracted because it looked like Asuka was going to be the one in the pinning, uh, doing the pinning, so she tried to do the right thing. Uh, even though that is the case, Charlotte does manage to get the tag as Asuka hits a running code breaker onto... Ruby Riot, which then allows Charlotte to hit the natural selection for the pin and the win. Obviously, the Riot Squad are not happy after the match. Billy Kay says, look, I, I understand I screwed up, but I, I I think I've made good on it. I went and talked to to to, uh, to Sonya Deville, who is obviously one of the co-authority figures on SmackDown, and said, listen, I got both of you entered into the Royal Rumble match, so like I said, it's not all bad. But even though, even so, the Riot Squad are still looking a little annoyed at uh, at Billy's shenanigans. Then we get a Daniel Bryan in-ring, in-ring promo. He's out in a nice little suit and some slacks. Uh, he says he wants to win the Royal Rumble match because it's something he's never done before in his career. Cesaro interrupts and says that Bryan isn't going to be winning the Royal Rumble. He is. Uh, he then goes on to remind us that he won the Andre the Giant Rem- Memorial Battle Royal the first time it was done. I wouldn't go bragging because that's not that much of an accomplishment by today's standards, Cesaro. But uh, after a while, Brian says, look, I get what's going on here. Why don't we just cut to the chase? Let's do this thing right now. Let's have another match like we did last week. Cesaro says no, because he already proved that he can beat Daniel Bryan and that Daniel Bryan isn't dressed to compete. So what does Cesaro do? He issues an open challenge to anybody in the back who has entered into the Royal Rumble match to come out and fight him. And Dolph Ziggler answers the challenge, one half of the SmackDown Tag Team Champs. So we get a match with Cesaro versus Dolph Ziggler. Daniel Bryan, of course, on commentary. Very competitive back-and-forth match. We know that both of these guys are athletic as all hell and, you know, are absolute main eventers as long as, you know, somebody can actually get behind them, which hasn't really happened to this point. At one point, Dolph goes for the Famouser, but Cesaro counters and catches him. Upside down, hits him with the neutralizer. Cesaro pins and wins. Uh, then we get the match that was hyped last week. Sasha Banks versus Carmella's sommelier Reginald, or Reggie as she likes to call him. Uh, Carmella is, of course, at ringside for this match. Reginald showing a lot of athleticism, flipping and diving and ducking out of the way of a lot of Sasha's moves. Uh, eventually, Sasha is able to fight back, goes for a flying cross body, which... Uh, Reggie obviously counters, picking her out of the air, goes to throw her around, but Sasha counters into an arm drag. Eventually, she is able to tilt the world her way into the bank statement, and Reggie immediately taps out. So Sasha it gets the win via submission. Up next, we had Roman and Paul Heyman backstage. Paul Heyman's like talking up how you know they, they were working together to lure Pierce into something, but Roman says, look, I never wanted you to challenge him. I just wanted you to do what I always expect you to do when I hand you the microphone, which is verbally eviscerate him. But you didn't do that. Instead, you opened your big mouth, and now you need to go out there, be a man, and handle your business. Uh, And obviously, Heyman is apoplectic upon hearing this because 
It was not something he ever expected to hear out of Roman. Next up, we get an Intercontinental title match between Big E and Apollo Crews. Big E right away with a huge belly-to-belly suplex on Apollo Crews, but eventually there is an awesome, awesome back and forth going between Big E and Apollo. Just absolute counter for counter. At one point, Big E is getting up as Apollo is up on the second or top turnbuckle. Apollo hits uh, Big E with a nice missile dropkick. In the meantime, while that is going on, Sami Zayn on the outside finally unlocks himself from the barricade, comes in and hits Apollo Crews with a haluva kick, which causes Big E to obviously retain the Intercontinental Championship via disqualification. Afterwards, Sammy hits a nice haluva kick on Big E as well and starts just running at the mouth how he should be the Intercontinental Champion, and he will be Intercontinental Champion again. Then we get a Kevin Owens promo where he is sitting in his car and he's talking about how he wasn't permitted in the building. Says that, you know, Roman can't pull any more strings come Sunday because it's the Royal Rumble, and that's where they're going to have to settle things. He goes, he starts going into detail about a lot of his tattoos and says that one of the tattoos on his left knuckles, I believe, are the initials for both of his fathers, his father and his uh, father-in-law. And how both of them taught him, no matter what happens, to keep fighting. Roman, Roman just wants Kevin to quit, but uh, he can't do that. And he says that come this Sunday at the, or not this Sunday, but the, uh, the Sunday of the Royal Rumble, Kevin Owens will be the last man standing. We then see the Street Profits backstage. They are trying to get another tag team title match by reaching out to Sonya Deville with a big old gift basket. But Sonya cuts him off and says, listen, Montez, I know they worked over your leg pretty good. Why don't you heal up first and then you work your way back through a couple matches and then we'll see about a title shot. Obviously, the Profits are a little disappointed, but they play it off nicely as Sonya leaves. Then we get the Obstacle Course Challenge, which was hyped last week on the Ding Dong Hello Show by Bailey. Bailey is up against Bianca Belair. Obviously, being the heel that she is, Bailey makes the course deliberately easier for herself, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Obviously, the big massive tractor tire is one thing she couldn't really fake, but smaller hurdles, weaving around the big, you know, uh, Plyo walls, if you want to call them that, carrying Chad Gable on her shoulders in a fireman's carry. Uh, then when Bianca gets up, of course, the hurdles are made much bigger. Uh, Bianca goes actually over the uh, the wooden ramps and walls. And then, of course, rather than carrying Chad Gable, she has to carry Otis, which she does with, surpri- with a surprising amount of great strength and dexterity. And then uh, using a basketball to get into the hoop and things like that. So... Even with all the disadvantages that Bailey puts in her path, Bianca still beats Bailey's time with almost 20 seconds to spare. Bailey obviously is irate and beats down Bianca after the challenge is over. Then we see Rey Mysterio and Dominic backstage. Rey is trying to help Dominic get ready for his match against King Corbin tonight, but Dominic doesn't want to listen. He just wants to do things his own way. Uh, Dominic claims that he's got this, but Ray is still trying to tell him, look, just follow my advice. We'll be fine, but Dominic doesn't want to hear it. So we go to that match next. Dominic Mysterio against King Corbin, and of course it is a beatdown by Corbin for the majority of the match. Eventually Dom is able to fight back, tries to go for a 619, but Corbin catches him in the middle of it. As uh, he drags uh, Dominic back into the ring, Corbin decks Dominic with a right hand, then transitions into the end of days for the pin and the win. 
So it looks like Dominic might want to try doing things his dad's way from now on because clearly his way didn't get the job done. And then last but not least, we have, of course, the main event of the evening, Adam Pierce in a match against Paul Heyman. Heyman comes out in his suit. His hands are taped up, but then he starts faking a knee injury, much like Pierce did last week. And Heyman uses Pierce's own words against him when he says, card subject to change. Roman comes down to the ring, hits a big Superman punch immediately on Adam Pierce. Pierce starts trying to fight back, but Roman kicks Pierce low, starts ramming him into the LED screens around the ringside area. Uh, goes to put uh, Pierce up on the, the upper tier platform where he and Jey Uso threw Kevin Owens off a number of weeks ago. But speaking of Kevin Owens, he runs in to make the save. He manages to sneak in past security. Roman and Owens are brawling all over the place. Eventually, Owens is able to hit Reigns with a stunner in the ring. On the outside, Kevin is continuing the beatdown on Reigns, hits a stunner again, and then drags him into a pop-up powerbomb through the announce table as Paul Heyman looks on to close the show. Ryan, a lot to get through. What stood out to you? Yeah, a lot to get through. And I'm going to be honest, saying SmackDown really, despite a couple of misses, it's really have been handling itself very well as a show compared to Raw. I mean... Jeez, just some of the stuff that happened here. I mean, the the match between Big E and Apollo was definitely a good like return rubber match between those two men. Uh, this is the kind of matches. These are the kind of matches I wanted to have Apollo Cruz to have when he had when, when he was immediately jumped to, to the main roster after NXT, but you know never got the opportunity to. And Big E seems like the best opponent because both of them are bringing the better competitiveness out of each other, especially with their with their interactions. Sami Zayn just being at ringside every single time when, uh, when people are making their interests, especially through that uh, single-shot camera, and you just see him, a different sign, every, every, single, every single time is just hilarious. I mean, Sami is showing that even when he's not a champion, he can still carry the damn company on his back. Now, uh, Roman Reigns... Um, Nothing new to say about Roman. Yeah, Paul Heyman got himself in a situation that Roman's like, oh, I thought you knew how to get yourself out of this. I wasn't expecting you to do anything. Well, Roman, when you're the head of the table, sometimes the head needs to tell what the uh, what the other body needs to tell the body what's going on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they can't do their damn job. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's face it. Even when, even when somebody has to take a shit, the head needs to tell the ass what to do. Yeah, you can't rely on the muscles all of a sudden. The body may sometimes know it needs to go, but let's be honest. The, all it takes is just a simple uh, focus of will in order for you to, you know, stop yourself from, from stop yourself from the urge of going to the bathroom, even even for a short time. But you know what? This is just going to fall into the cracks of Roman's uh, leadership, especially when we inevitably get Jay Uso turning on Roman, depending if Jimmy ever comes back from his injury. Yeah, this could be a, a, a family feud between them. Possible. And with Kevin, yeah, completely possible. And with Owens definitely being reinserted into this, I knew that Owens was going to get another shot at Roman, and I liked how Pierce, through his experience, air quotes, experience as a WWE official, and the fact that he knows that Roman would do anything to get his way, was able to worm his way out, well, slither his way out of facing Roman and give it to Kevin, who was a most suitable opponent. Now, yeah, nothing new. Oh, Reigns says 
oh, I'm gonna, you're gonna be, you're gonna be let, you're gonna be beaten, destroyed, fine. Owen's like, nope, I'm gonna walk out as the last man standing. I'm gonna walk with your Universal Championship. Nothing new, and then brawling, nothing new. Um, the obstacle course, I thought that was going to be complete, played out to complete comic effect. I really thought so, but the comedy was mostly on the side of Bailey, you know, as she plays around with it. Now, I'm not a fan of that moment, but at least with Bailey, this was something for her to work with. And I liked how this is another showing of Bianca's athletic ability, her jumping the hurdles, going over those uh, wooden uh, those wooden mounts, and of course the. Uh, with Gable there as a coach, first Bailey carrying Gable on her shoulders, then Otis just sliding out of the fucking ring. <laughs> that got me to laugh. Yeah, I will admit that that popped me pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, it obviously ends with the brawl, Bailey being the sore loser, okay, of course. But still, it was a nice little break segment. And then um, I definitely enjoy what they're doing with Sonya Deville as someone as somebody in charge like once again as i said from our last uh episode she's she right now she's being heavily invested in this as a as an official really uh as a fit as management they're not trying to drag immediately force her into feuding with someone in the women's division to where she comes back no they're gonna keep her on there this is great tv time more opportunities for her to work on her promos and her and her backstage work and as you see with Montez and with uh, Dawkins. And also, another highlight I did enjoy was Billy Kay. I mean, sure, she comes off as annoying to most people, and her with the Riot Squad, would, for most people, would make them look like a joke, but I think Billy Kay is fantastic. Uh, she does her job, and she does it well. I did, I, I'm still not a fan of Charlotte being the women's champion, but... I'm going to say, she's... SmackDown Women's Tag Title. Yeah, she's not the actual champion. Women's Champion because that's Asuka and then obviously Charlotte. Or not yeah, Charlotte, Sasha was, on. Uh, this is just me. I've, I've, I've kind of like with WWE, I've kind of met, I've met my wits end with, with Charlotte. And I guess, but you know, this, but, but at the same time, this was a good way to keep the storyline with uh, Billy Kay and the Riot Squad going to where right now, Billy Kay, she's not messing up. All, I mean, she messes up, yes, but she's not to where she's she she can't pay them back. And you clearly see Billy Kay was able to at least try to correct that mistake by getting them into the rumble, even though the Riot Squad wanted a shot at the tag titles, and unfortunately, you know that that it came and went. Yeah. But I think the so I think the thing that cheeses me off the most about the. Peyton Royce, or not the Peyton Royce, but the Billy Kay thing is they broke her up with Peyton Royce and now it seems like she's so desperate to find some other type of friend, some other type of partner to be with. Like, give her a chance to run on her own. Don't make her like this desperate lapdog who just is constantly looking for someone else to, to team around with because she knows she can't hack it on her own. You know, make give her, give her something to do. Let her get, have an opportunity to prove herself rather than just constantly second-guessing herself, you know? Yeah, that's that's a, that's the one takeaway I will I will that's the one negative takeaway from this. Uh, at first, I love the whole thing to where she was going around to people, at giving like, hey, tr- here's my resume, here's what I'm good for. Like that was great comedic work. Yeah, like but she's then, at a yeah. modeling convention handing out headshot and resume and shit. Yeah, but then now it's transferred to, oh, I 
Liv was compassionate to me, and now I'm now she's developing a fanboy as a fangirl as a fan attitude. Yeah, it's it's essentially becoming almost like the Mickey James Tristratus thing from a long time ago. Yeah, but the difference is Billy Kay, and they're not really at least with the at least with the obsessive fan story angle they did. The obsessive fan would be the one who who could make it up to them. But Billy Kay, at least she's not. She she has the ten. She's developing. They're clearly they're giving her the character tendencies, but mm-hmm. she's not as you know. But she's not as um, gullible or as uh, yeah. She's not as gullible into it. Um, but right now, it doesn't look like there's going to be too much. Uh, like the tension between Liv and Ruby, that's definitely. It seems that they they definitely got that out of the way. It seems they're both on a united front, which is good because I don't want them to try to break up the Riot Squad once again. again after they did this angle to where they reunited them back together. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, here's the thing: if nothing else, it definitely it definitely seems right now that Billy Kay is definitely the one on the outside looking in, and I don't see them going back to to splitting up the Riot Squad anytime soon. But anyway, that'll wrap it up for the WWE side of things on this week's episode. So now, let us transition into the other side of the coin. Ryan, what was going on this week in Impact and in AEW? Well, all right. Uh, let's get started. Let's get our, let's strap ourselves in. Uh, first off, with Impact, it was weeks. It was days removed from Hard to Kill. And first off, they had, of course, they did a quick recap, a small, a small recap during the opening package. Uh, they had a quick backstage segment with uh, Rich Swan to where they wanted to get his thoughts on the match. And then Moose, you know, he walks in, then he walks into the interview out, like from, you know, claiming from after the match. The interviewer wants to get his opinions. Moose immediately just ta- attacks Rich Swan, and he just tells Rich, "I told you." I was going to be the best damn partner, the best damn friend for you in the, once that bell rang. But now that the bell is over, I'm going for your Impact Championship. And that was it. Which we lead into a match between Eric Young and Rhino. Just a simple one-on-one match. Eric is accompanied by his compatriots, Violent by Design, which is Joe Dorian and Cody Diener. And it's just a simple one-on-one match between them. Rhino, uh, of course, wanting to look to get a little bit of payback on Young, but still... Young is still able to capitalize and win with the distraction from Joe Doring when he's able to slam Rhino's leg into uh, steel, into the ring post. And then Young capitalizes on that by putting him into a leg lock, which, uh, which, which unfortunately Rhino taps to. And then it ends with a post-match assault from those three men. No interference, no rescue from Cousin Jake or Tommy Dreamer. Kind of weird. Makes it look like as if that partnership was just for one night only. Yeah. And now we then yeah then we move from the post from that match to a segment between AC Romero who is a tech and AC AC Romero and Johnny Bravo. This is a lingering storyline from when Johnny Bravo was shot in his wedding uh, ceremony with Rosemary. Now the whole angle went for a couple weeks before it was revealed that AC Romero's tag partner Larry D was the one who shot Bravo, and this is um. This is going to be a bit of a tale I need to wind back to. During the time of 2020, Impact Wrestling has began this little skit called Wrestling House, to where they took wrestlers and put them all inside this house reality re- reality style, to the real world style, honestly, to where 
they were doing simple reality challenges like, oh, pick a room to sleep in or, you know, date nights. And then, and of course, Tommy Dreamer was the host. And, of course, there was matches that happened. And the people involved in Wrestling House, I'm not going to name all of them, but among them was AC Romero and Larry D, who were the tag team of Triple XL. There was uh, Rosemary, Taya, and Johnny Bravo were involved. Uh, and, Su- and, and Tommy Dreamer was the host. And there were a few other wrestlers, like Susie, uh, Kylie Ray before she had departed. There was uh, Cody Diener and Cousin Jake before Diener had turned heel. So there's a few involved. But during that, but one thing that happened in Wrestling House was that Rosemary, who had a thing for Johnny Bravo, wanted to make him jealous. So what she did was did this little voodoo spell on Larry T, turned him into someone named Lawrence. And it caused a bit of commotion between him and his partner, A.C. Romero. Now, fast forward to Johnny Bravo and Rosemary's wedding when he got shot. The evidence was revealed that there was this little perfume called Ring Rust, which was apparently Larry D's favorite cologne, and when Larry got sprayed by it, he turned into Lawrence and shot Johnny Bravo because Lawrence was obsessed with Rosemary. And then Tommy Dreamer, Larry D had a match to where Tommy beat him, Larry goes to jail, and Larry went to jail because he lost. AC Romero decided to pick up the pieces and find out the real culprit because he believed his partner was framed. So... And last week on Impact, he did find evidence, presented it to Johnny Bravo, and now we go to this past Tuesday to where he presents the evidence to Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer did not want to have any of it, but Johnny Bravo was there to back it up. And then they said they also had video footage and forensic evidence on who was responsible, which – and then, and then, of course, they fade to black. Yeah, because they can't give it away that easily. No, they cannot. And then after, and then following that, we have the Good Brothers coming out, doing a promo, talking about how they came here, they ran shop, now they're the dominant tag team. They get interrupted by Chris Saban of the Motor City Machine Guns. Now, Saban, he and his partner Shelly had a number one contendership shot. Problem is, Shelly got hurt, so it leads the Good Brothers to say, oh, you do have a shot, but unfortunately, it's, it's the Motor City Machine Guns, and since Shelly's on the you know shelf... You don't have a topic. You don't have the. You don't have that right. So you can just wait until your partner is healed up. But Saban says, "Oh no, I have a partner, and we're going to take you on." And it is the Cowboy James Storm. Both men go to the ring, and they pretty much tell the Good Brothers, "We're here because we respect tag team wrestling, and we want you to gone, or you know, we don't want you to have the belts." But before they move any further, before G- Good Brothers can respond. We get the arrival and interruption of Matt Hardy and Private Party. They come out to Matt's music, and Matt, of course, being his uh, big money alter ego, pretty much just says, "We're here to make history. We're here to make an impact." You know, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He, and then, of course, he goes on to say, "Oh, I'm here to rep- I represent Private Party because not only do I get 50% of their third-party contracts, I get 30% of what they get on AEW. That's a big money Matt move." And, of course, the Good Brothers and Chris and James are going, who the fuck cares? Why are you here? And then they pretty much say, because of this opening deal, Matt Hardy found a way to possibly, through Tony Khan, to get here into Impact. And so he issues a cha- he issues a challenge to the Good Brothers, but instead the challenge goes to Saban and Storm. And the Good Brothers say, if the if private party can beat Saban and Storm for that night, their number one contenders for their Impact Wrestling Championship, in which the Matt and then Matt says, "I'll get in touch. I'll get in touch with my lawyers to talk to Scott Demore to make it happen." 
And then, of course, later in the night after a segment between Fire and Flava, who, where they're trying to invite people for their tag team championship celebration, it, it's made official. Mm-hmm. And, and then we move, and then the next segment we move on to is a knockouts tag match between Kimberly and Susan, the alter persona of Sue Young, versus Jordan Grace and Jazz. Now, this is definitely couple of weeks removed from Grace and Jazz's friendly comp- friendly competitive match at Genesis. But it plays out as a simple tag match to where Jazz and Grace, you know, they're they, not only did they like that tandem they had in the knockout tag title in the tag tournament, but they remain as a team. They run mostly rough shot through Kimber and Susan, but because Susan, she's a persona, no idea how she is a wrestler, but she's more of like a fighter in a sense, but she is able to a couple of mat move, mat technique moves, but in the end, Kimberly and Susan win through a bit of dirty tactics. To where um, uh, Jordan Grace is knocked on the outside, Susan is able to get a fast one onto Jazz for the roll up and the win for the match. Mm-hmm. Now let us get to after that match, we have a backstage interview with Taya Valkyrie, and the interviewer pretty much tells Taya. Now, since you had lost your opportunity for the Knockouts Championship, what are you going to do moving forward? And then, of course, she also makes a comment on what happened with, with – uh, she makes a comment on Kimberly and Susan getting themselves involved, telling them how dirty they are, how that they are – that she can be even more dirtier than they are. Johnny Bravo interrupts and pretty much unleashes onto Ty and says, I knew that you were dirty, but I didn't think you'd go this far. Ty says, what are you talking about? Romero and Dreamer show up. Well, Johnny first says, I know it's you. You're the one who sprayed that perfume ring rust onto Larry D, turning him into Lawrence to get to shoot me, to nearly kill me. Taya denies, but then Larry, but then AC and Tommy Dreamer show up and says, Taya, it's over. We have the, we have the, the, the fingerprints were on the cologne, and we have you through rest record video, you know, video footage. Taya does a, one hell of a performance. She just turns into like a soap opera villain, does an evil maniacal laugh and says, of course, I knew you were, I knew you were weak, Johnny Bravo. I knew you were a man, but I didn't think you were to step up. I never wanted you to marry Rosemary. I was doing this to protect her. And before she continues, Tommy just says, enough, Taya, it's over. They bring in security, and I'm doing air quote security, or, you know, police escort. Taya tries to get away with it and chase but then Tommy gets in her way, and then she's grabbed by security to be escorted out of the building, which leads to one of my favorite uh, interactions. Bravo asks what's going to happen to her, and Tommy Jeeber says this. If she's lucky, she'll go to Jacksonville State Prison for a, few, uh, for, like, for a while. But if she's unlucky, she goes to Stanford Maximum Penitentiary for two years with a possible extension for three years. And believe me, that place breaks souls or breaks people. Jeez. <laughs> that, if that had not been a bigger shot at WWE, I don't know what was. <laughs> yeah, no, I was say nothing subtle at all with that one. No, but then uh, what's that cut away from them? It's the tie-up being dragged to the door. Rosemary is waiting by her. And normally in most situations on wrestling, you'd have the best friend attack someone like Tara, but that didn't happen. All Rosemary just said, there was a plan involved. Why did you get emotional? Why did you ruin it? Ty just says, I'm sorry. 
I didn't know what to do. You're the best person I, you're the best friend I've made here. I do not regret teaming up with you and becoming your friend. They hug and Natalia leaves the building. And then she, then Rosemary talks to Crazy Steve and says, "This is why we just can't have friends." And she says, "Is that make you angry? Does that make you angry or sad?" Steve says, "No, that makes me excited." And then it just cuts away to an AEW paid ad with Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone. Once again, Tony Khan just going, yeah, congratulations. Once again, Impact and Don Callis and Scott, you are once again being given money and paid for by me. And and he brings in Jerry Lynn in the ad, which is kind of funny. Jerry Lynn just does nothing, but he just references Jerry Lynn as he's there on camera. And, of course, it's just a simple ad to where Tony just goes, uh, who else knows what's going to happen, you know, almost alluding to something. Which later goes into a rich, oh, then it goes to Rich Swan in-ring promo. Pretty much, he's, he pretty much says the same thing, but difference is that he gives credit to Chris Saban. He even gives slight credit to Moose, but at the same time tells Moose, you want my championship? There's nothing you're going to do about it. Moose interrupts and tells him, that was business. This now is business. I'm just here for the championship because I want to be the, you know, he wants to be the staple head. He wants to be the face. But then Rich says, why wait? Let's do this right now or do it next week. Moose says, no. It's going to be on my time, not yours. I'm going to dictate when this is going to happen. Rich Swan, of course, being very passionate, eager, goes, okay, we'll wait on your time, but it still won't matter because I'm going to be the champion. And I think it leads into a brawl between them or it just fades to black. Once it comes back from, uh, once it fades to black, we get a backstage segment again with Scott Demore, but but this time it's Scott Demore and Rajit Ro Rohit Raju. Rohit comes in, complaining about the loss he had at Gen at um at Hard to Kill, believing he got robbed. But then who walks in? TJ Perkins with the X Division Championship. And Rohit's going, You gotta be kidding me! You know that he's manic! I know he's manic! And then Scott just goes, No shit, he's manic. Everyone knows he's manic. Like, obviously they were no one was trying to hide it, but then at the same time, Scott did say it. You did say TJP could not challenge, and honestly, Manic had a Manic had a career before TJP was an established wrestler in Impact, so there was a loophole. Rohit, of course, was pissed off. He wanted a shot at TJP, and Scott says, "Okay, you want a shot at him? Go. You you have your shot at TJP." But Rohit leaves thinking that it is for the X Division Championship. When he leaves the door, Scott tells TJ, "You want to tell him it's non-title?" And then TJ just goes, "Nah." It's better to let him sweat it out. <laughs> then we get our next match, which is between uh, Brian Myers and Fala Ba. Fala Ba. I can't say his name right, but it's just a simple one-on-one -on -one match between them. Uh, Myers ends up winning, and Fala Ba is a very is a super heavyweight in that in Impact Wrestling. But because of his size, he has tangled with X Division wrestlers and in the tag division. But he's more of a face in that in that division. Brian Myers, he wins the match. I want to see if there's anything notable what there really wasn't. It was just a simple one-on-one -on -one match where Brian had to use his intelligence in order to get a one-up on Falaba for the win. Following later, our final segment of the night was Ace Austin in the back complaining about how he was used at Genesis and Hard to Kill, where he was just there to be on the desk for a match between him and Josh Alexander for Hard to Kill, not on the main show, but just for a preview. Josh Alexander interrupts and tells him, look, you are just a young, you know, you know, pretty much playing the veteran. You're a young punk. You're, you're arrogant. But if you want respect, I'm going to put respect into you. 
and then they get into a shove-off between each other, which caused Madman Bolton to attack Josh Alexander from behind. But before the gang up can continue, Matt Gardona shows up to even the odds and chasing off Ace Austin and Madman Fulton, getting Josh Alexander's back. And then finally, we have our final match of the night, which is the number one contendership for the Impact Tag Titles, which is Private Party versus Chris Saban and James Storm. Now, during the match, it's a very good competitive match. We're seeing Matt Hardy really trying to get Private Party to become very aggressive in the match, telling them to keep attacking their opponent, don't give them any break, don't try to be all flashy and highly, just keep attacking them. But then, during the match, all of a sudden, we see coming out from ringside and getting seats by the ring is Tony Khan and Jerry Lynn on camera, right the inches away from the ring, watching the entire match, recording off of their phone and taking notes, you know. And the commentary, which is D'Lo Brown and Matt Stryker, are kind of playing off as if this is Tony Khan, you know, maybe giving off more of like, maybe he wants him to be more of a hands-on investor, you know, or try, you, you know, wants to get more of an idea of what he, this, of this partnership. And then during the match, when uh, I believe it is Jerry, uh, Chris Saban going for a finisher, Tony Khan gets Jerry Lynn to go to the ring and hold Chris Saban's leg. While James, well, uh, James Storm is taken out by Isaiah Cassidy, and then when, when Chris Saban distracted enough, Mark Quinn stops him and then sets him up for the gin and juice for the win, which making Private Party number one contenders for the Impact champion for the Impact Tag Titles. But as before it goes to black, the Good Brothers come out as Matt Hardy is celebrating with them. They do, of course, a one-on-one -on -one pose off with them. But then James Storm and Chris Saban show up, and then it all devolves into a, a six-man brawl, and then they face the black for the end of the show. James, after everything I've just said, was there anything that caught your attention or anything that was noticeable throughout Impact? Well, I would say the first thing that really kind of stood out was the whole thing with, with Taya and the, the, the whole ridiculous storyline of, you know, who shot who and, you know, all that. But it, it, was, it was a clever way to actually finally write her out of the story and out of the company now that she's leaving. And again, the, the lines by Tommy Dreamer of what's going to happen to her in the end, I thought were hilarious. Got a nice little pop out of me. But obviously the big thing that stuck out to me was, of course, Private Party versus Storm and Saban. I mean, Private Party now are getting a massive shot against the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Team titles. Now, whether or not they're actually going to be able to make anything out of that, whether they're actually going to win the straps or not, I personally, I don't think so. But the next question is: Is does that happen on a an, an impact pay per view or impact show, or does that happen on at Beach Break on Dynamite, or does it wait till maybe Revolution for AEW? How are they going to play that out? So, it just just becomes a massive question. Everything else that was going on, I mean, seemed there there were a couple other fun moments like the. Um, Everything with like Eric Young and Diener and all of that stuff, and you know uh, Tommy Dreamer and cousin Jake not coming out to help. I mean that 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 whole thing was curious, and it got me kind of wondering. And then of course the the Jordan Grace and Jazz tag team against uh, Susie and uh, whoever else. Yeah, that that Kimberly. that was yeah. Kimberly, yeah this was a very segment heavy show. It wasn't there was only like four matches honestly throughout the entire night. Yeah, yeah, which. 
you know, every now and then you gotta have a, you gotta have a little bit of a balance there. Sometimes you're gonna have the segment heavy matches, other time or segment segment heavy cards, and other times you're gonna have the the match heavy cards. But this had to be a fine little balance. But overall, uh, you know, now that Hard to Kill's done, it'll be interesting to see where Impact goes, especially with the continued involvement of Tony Khan and AEW and all of that other kind of thing. Will they continue to make different appearances here and there? It, it just all remains to be seen, and I'm. I'm curious to see where it goes. It definitely is. It definitely makes watching Impact on Tuesday nights and Dynamite on Wednesday nights a lot more entertaining. That's that's to be sure, and a lot it makes it must see stuff because you never know. Hey, is somebody from here going to show up, or you know, are these guys going to go over here? Like, what's going to go down? So, uh, I'm all on board. Okay, then with that said, that is now move into AEW Dynamite. Now, this was I would say a very Honestly, I took a lot of notes here in this show, and mostly because there's like all these mini little segments in between these matches. But let's start off with Dynamite. They kick off with doing a birthday celebration to Negative One, which is Brody Jr. The Dark Order come out. They have a cake set on the top of the ramp, singing Happy Birthday to Brody Lee Jr. You know, telling him that the Dark Order is going to do great because they're going to get Hangman out of Page after the end of this match. But before Brody Lee can, but after Brody Lee grows out his, after Brody Jr. grows out his candles, we have Luther and Pentacle come out, and then Luther pretty much is cutting the promo on Brody Jr. And the funny thing is that they also cut back to the promo Brody Jr. cut on Luther, and there's fans in the crowd with signs that says "Promo Killer" or "Most de- Most de- Devastating Promo," which is which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like really showing love to Brody Jr. But at the end. It leads into a bit of a, a push-apart brawl between Chaos Project and a few of Dark Order. But before any of that happens, Brody, Brody before Brody Jr. goes away, he says, You idiots, my birthday uh, was... Oh, no, no, never mind, I'm jumping ahead say, Yeah, I think he saved that for a little bit later. Yeah, but while the brawl part was happening, TH2, which is the hybrid 2, ends up jumping them, and then it's nothing but a fight between all four of those, before all between, between uh, Silver, Reynolds... TH2 and that lead, that brings out Hangman Adam Page and then what Adam Page does not only does he enter the ring he jumps from part and does a big stage dive onto all seven men although Colt is able to walk away a little bit but he does stage dive on all seven men to start the match now this match is pretty good uh it's a nice good comp once it, I mean look eight man AEW is getting better it's getting a little better with their eight man matches now um it's no longer trying to be everyone gets their stuff. They're working a lot more on different tandems of teams, seeing how people, how wrestlers have chemistry with each other. But there was this one little nice element in the match to when, um, I believe, Serpentico was down uh, in the middle of the ring. Colts, Silver, and Reynolds, they influence, they get Hangman Page to do this little electric chair drop, which is uh, Reynolds gets on Hangman's back, and then Silver gets on Reynolds' back. At first, Hangman stumbles a little bit, but he's able to hold both of those men to do pretty much an electric chair backdrop onto Serpentico. Ouch. And from the camera angle, they had it. At first, it was the hard cam, but then they changed it to an upper, like one of the drone cams, so you can get a better shot at it. And it really was like a nice little pull-off there. I mean, yeah, all that weight on the Hangman's back was one thing, but still, it was a great setup. And then let's see here. Then... During the match, of course, because it can't, it still can't be contained in the ring, it leads into a brawl, and there's a brawl between Luther and Colt Cabana, which takes itself all the way to the birthday cake 
to where uh, Luther was going to first shove Colt's face in, but then Colt does a bit of a chop to Luther and then does a big uh, gorilla, uh, a lateral press, and Luther falls face first into the cake. And then with Luther getting up, Brody Lee is given a kendo stick from Vance, 10, and smacks Luther on the head with it. And before the whole thing is over, Brody Lee Jr., Brody Jr., Brody Jr. Well, not only does he attack Luther, but then he also attacks Serpentico with the kendo stick. And then with that distraction, uh, we get a triple, we get a, a bit of a variant pin onto uh, Jack Evans, which was kind of funny. Uh, it, I think it was a monkey flip. I would need to rewatch that match. I'll say, that I, I was watching. It was a buckshot into a German suplex by Silver. Reynolds then did a jackknife pin. And that was what yeah. got it. Yeah, and then after when uh, Brody Lee had uh, Brody Jr. attacked Serpentico with the kendo stick, he's also given a handful of papers and then throws it at Serpentico for like a, for the death nail. And then he grabs a mic and tells Dark Order, "You idiots! My birthday was a week ago, was three weeks ago." <laughs> and three days ago, away. I think. Three days ago. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Pretty sure it was. There days, was just yeah. so I was laughing so much that I wrote down my notes three weeks ago. <laughs> But yeah, once that match is over, Silver grabs a microphone and approaches Hangman, pretty much telling him, oh, you're so cool. I love you so much, man. Will you do us the honor? And he literally gets down on one knee and says, will you do us the honor and join the Dark Order? Hangman, at first, he only feels very flattered, but ultimately he says no to Silver and Re- and uh, Re- uh, Silver and Reynolds who are in the ring. But unfortunately... The guys in the back thought is he said yes, and then you get confetti blowing out, and then a huge little pro- thing on the promotion on the on the screen that says he said yes, he said yes, and then all of a sudden they're like no, 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 and then you have Stu in the background going no, cut it out. Hank Man gets on the mic and says, look guys, I like hanging out with you guys, I like you guys very much, but I was in a group in the past, it didn't work out for me, and before Hank Man could get into more details, he just drops the mic and he just leaves with them all asking Hank Man why, why, you know, like wanting to know, so. At the end of that match, there's a lot of storyline elements that can be drawn out from this. Obviously, this whole thread with the Dark Order and Hangman is going to continue. But we do see this interesting little thread that Hangman is still feeling the he's still feeling sour with what happened with the Elite. And at, at the same time with this alcohol little, uh, the, uh, little uh, not addiction, but the alcohol gimmick of his, it does. It is playing more into the psychological breakdown of his character. If he can really trust himself being with another group again, and of course with the Dark Order, wanting not looking to fill the void of Brody Lee, but wanting to ex, you know expand the numbers of their group. And at the same time, they were going after Hangman. They it looked like there was a good camaraderie amongst them. That was a bit of a like a heartbreak moment. You know that they, they felt not betrayed, but kind of like, what, where do we what do we go from here? Yeah, I still I still think that he is going to manage to join at some point because I think they're gonna they're gonna win him over somehow. But it'll it'll be interesting. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah I think it's gonna work more into his character, honestly. Uh, with, but as I continue, uh, the next thing we had was a TNT celebration with Sting in the ring. He was going to congratulate Darby Allen on winning. Of course, with Tony Schiavone in the ring was asking Sting, he was going to ask Sting more questions, but Sting was like, you know what, let's just, before we get to these formalities, let's just bring out the champion. And so Darby comes out, Sting pretty much says, before, I wanted to say congratulations, I wasn't looking there to back you up or even the odds, but I wanted to make sure it was a fair fight. 
And before Sting can continue, who interrupts him? But Team Taz on the screen, pretty much saying, fair fight. That wasn't a fair fight. You nearly took out my boy with a baseball bat. What happened was that you guys played dirty. And, and since the fact that you guys like to play dirty, that was pretty much a street fight, not a wrestling match. So it leads to a great promo between Taz and Ricky Starks, pretty much challenging Darby Allen and question mark Sting for a street match at for a street match down the road. Now, of course, now we know that that match has been made at Revolution, where it's going to be Sting and Darby Allen versus I think it's Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. But even then, the fact that Sting on the behalf of Darby Allen accepts the match, even though well, even though Darby said Darby says let's do this, but then Sting even backs up and says, "You want to fight? Let's have a fight." But it was kind of weird. Though. But I, I think it's kind of funny. Not not fun. I think it's a fun little thing that's happening right now. Right now, the marquee has been made to where you see Sting in the little graphics at for Revolution. So moving forward, it's going to be very interesting to see what this little rivalry is going to happen. Are we going to see Darby Allen get another ally to his to his side? Or is it mainly just going to be him and Sting? So it's very, it's really intriguing. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right. Afterwards, we have a match between uh, we have a, a quick segment, which is uh, the Bucks. They go to Kenny's home. They want to confront Kenny about his attitude, or at least the fact they're constantly getting shafted. But instead, they encounter Don Callis, who's there, pretty much kind of like. Saying, oh, Kenny's not here. He's not at home right now. But, of course, they're not happy. They want to talk with Kenny. And, then, of course, they bring out their frustrations on the Callus. And during the conversation, Callus says something that pisses them off. And it just cuts away to black to where they're throttling Don Callis. Hmm. Which leads us to our next match, which is Cody Rhodes versus Pretty Peter Avalon. <laughs> if you want to talk about a mismatch. But... Cody did sell. Peter was pretty much the aggressor throughout the match because before Cody can get started, who shows up walking out from the you know from the tunnels it is Jay Cargill distracting Cody Rhodes from when Cody and Peter Avalon, without missing a beat, takes advantage of Cody's distraction and just starts to wail on him throughout the match. You know, giving him doing body slams. You know, uh, pretty much doing everything he can to make sure Cody does not get a leg up on him. And of course, Avalon, who does great work on Dart, unfortunately just doesn't get the uh, leg, doesn't continue to have the leg up on Cody because afterwards, Cody gets his, uh, he gets his, uh, his rust, he gets his energy back, he gets his fire back. He, uh, he takes, he takes the momentum away from from Avalon and then puts him into a figure four leg lock. And Avalon only taps because he was afraid that Cody was going to hit him in the face, which is his money maker. And so he taps pretty quickly for Cody to get the win. Yeah, uh, after that match, we get into a, a quick match, which is the, the return of John Moxley to the ring. And it's just him in a one-on-one -on -one match against Nick um, Komarodo. Now, Nick Komarodo was a pretty much, he's a big dude, but this is his first, this is a national, this is his uh, first match on Dynamite, and he's going up against Moxley. Now, throughout this match, it is just a good, uh, one. it's a good power moves match, but also, uh, this is Moxley's match since his loss to Kenny Omega, so the question was, does Mox still have that fire like he had? But, throughout the match, while 
Kamaroto is showing some great moves, like getting a headbutt on Mox to get the upper hand and using body slams in order to, you know, get the energy and uh, knock the wind out of the system. But Mox, you know, it doesn't take him long to get the momentum back, and he finishes and he finishes him off with a German suplex and a sleeper hold to win the match. Afterward, he does a quick promo on Omega, telling him that you can hold on to that championship as long as you can, but the moment I get that, t- but it's pretty much I'm gonna get that title back. I haven't lost my sights on you, and that and, you know and that's it. Now, after the Moxley match, we get a segment with Kenny Omega showing up. You know, he's coming from back. He you know he's coming from whatever trip he has. He meets Don Callis in the locker rooms at, uh, at Daly's place. Don Callis is sporting a nice shiner on his right eye. And, of course, Kenny notices it, obviously, and he's asking him, what did happen? What was that? What was that about? Callis, of course, he's playing, like, a bit of a, a loop. Like, he's playing like he's playing this little role where he's trying to protect Kenny. Like, look, I don't want you to get involved in this. This is okay. It's fine. But then at the same time, him being a bit of a slithery snake, he drops he drops the bucks. He name drops the bucks. And then Alex Marvez comes in and goes, wait, are you alluding to the fact that it was the bus that hit you? And then Dallas Carroll's like, what the hell are you doing here? Get out of here, man. I ain't asked for you to be here. And then that's that, the end of that segment. Next match we have is Matt Seidel and Top Flight in a six-man match against Private Party and Matt Hardy. Now, this is a good pair up here. Private Party and uh, Top Flight, some great athletic, very energetic performers. But this match was pretty much just a showing for top flight. They and Matt Seidel worked very well together as a unit, doing some great combinations of uh, high flight moves, uh, high paced energy. Although Matt Seidel, throughout his time on on AEW, he has pretty much taken a step back to become more of a technical and submission style based wrestler. But it still complements top flight through one point in the match where Matt is on the apron. Matt Seidel and top flight. Get a, a get a triple uh, single leg crab submission hold onto both Cassie and Mark Quinn, and it's a nice little uh, moment as you see on the camera, especially on the hard cam. But it doesn't take long for Matt Hardy to get himself involved to help change things. You know, he's once again pushing on to Cassie and Quinn, be more aggressive, stop giving them time, like really become killers. But then later into the match, uh, Matt Hardy gets he gets his hands full with Seidel. We have, I can't remember, one of the members of Top Flight is about to take out, it. Uh, they're on the Top Flight fighting with Top, one members of Top, I'm trying to remember his name, that's what's distracting me, but I'm going to hold myself here. It leads into, there's a bit of a turnbuckle brawl between Mark Quinn and one of the members of Top Flight, I believe it's Dwayne, but during the distraction, Isaiah Cassidy grabs a chair and hits Dwayne in the stomach with it. Of course, Mark Quinn is a bit stunned with Cassie, but Cassie gives this big smile to Quinn. And then Quinn, looking at the hard cam, gives a big smile himself. And he does a suit, and then does a uh, shooting star press for the victory. And this is solidifying that Private Party are now fully heels along with Matt Hardy. And that ends the match. No uh, post-match beatdown, just them celebrating and then leaving the ring. And that's it. Seems it seems now that storyline of Matt Hardy, uh, pretty much his influence over 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 Quinn and Cassidy, is finally starting to pay off. And and from right now, 
there is just a new avenue for private party to go down that. Now that they're no longer the uh, party faces, they're now becoming heels, and and the change in their character is going to be very interesting. Agreed. And then after, yeah. And then after that, there's a quick segment with MJF and Inner Circle, Sans Chris Jericho, where MJF is pretty much just trying to pump them up, telling them that this is going to be a good match between you guys, no matter what happens. We're all going to walk out of this, and the inner circle is going to be strong. But then, of course, the fact that Jericho's not there leaves a bit of questioning to the audience, but nobody in there is talking about it. After that segment's over, we get a women's match between Layla Hirsch and Penelope Ford. And Penelope is accompanied by Kip Sabian, Miro, and Charles Taylor. Not Chuck Taylor, but Charles Taylor, all dressed up in a butler outfit with a towel he is holding over his right side. Now, mainly throughout this match, it's obvious that Layla is better skilled and the uh, more gifted opponent. But this was mainly about Ford using Kip Sabian and Miro to her advantage to distract Hirsch. And even even Sabian and and Miro forced Chuck Taylor, I mean Charles, to get involved to distract Layla. But Layla doesn't hold up. She still is able to do her... Matt, she's able to still dominate Penelope Ford with her use of German suplexes, with her submission holds like the armbar and so. But later into the match, before Layla is able to get anything, uh, she is tripped up by Sabian and Charles Taylor, and Ford uses that distracted distraction to get a roll-up for the victory winning the match. Now afterwards... Well, during the whole, I forgot to mention, during the whole match, Orange Cassidy is sitting amongst the crowd watching the whole thing and, you know, seeing Charles being abused or mistreated, you know, being treated like a, being, being treated like a low-level, like, uh, rookie amongst Miro and uh, Sabian. But after the match, Miro is in the ring with a microphone wanting Charles to come in and pretty much just saying, look, man, I'm trying to teach, I'm trying to, you know, give you an opportunity, you know, he's trying to treat Charles like if he's his, like if he's his young boy in Japan, and, but ultimately, in the end, he wants Charles to tell Orange Cassidy, Miro is my best friend, and he, of course, he's, he's, you know, he's tugging him around, he's trying to force him to say it, until finally, Charles says, Miro is my best friend, and it ends with Sabian and Miro mocking the best friend's hug, like, they do the hug with Charles in the middle, and of course, Orange Cassidy takes his sunglasses off and looking very sad and dejected, as if, you know, he's losing his best friend. Not like Charles is turning to them, but it's kind of like the embarrassment of the whole situation. And it ends with them leaving the ring. Now, now finally, our last match is the triple threat tag match amongst the Inner Circle. Who will be the official tag team of the Inner Circle? Now, this match was very interesting, very competitive as well. Um... All five of the Inner Circle members, since MJF, I mean, MJF, of course, he's playing the whole, like, I'm not going to get involved unless I tag myself in, but there was so many good pairings between having Sammy and Sammy going up against either Santana or Ortiz, Jericho getting himself involved. There's even this great moment to where part when uh, Pride and Powerful, Ortiz and, and Santana, they normally do that suplex, tag one person in, and then trade off to continue the whole of the suplex. What happens is that Ortiz does a suplex. He's hanging over towards Jericho. Jericho tags himself in and continues and then trades off the suplex hold, which was very fun. Mm. But then during, but the most of this match, well, I mean the, but 
the, the, the story angle of this match was Sammy Guevara taking out his frustration on Jericho. Like, he's doing everything that what he and Jericho used to do as less sex gods. Like, he throws Jericho out the ring, does a fake out, and then does his little, uh, like, Burt Reynolds pose in the ring, you know, which, you know, which is a way to piss, you know, get into Jericho's head. And then even later on, he's, he shows more aggression towards Jericho than he does everybody else. But then once, but then afterwards, towards near the end of the match, everything starts to get down into a brawl. Jericho uh, signals to Wardlow, give me Floyd the bat. But when Hager gets in the ring and he sees that, he gives a big nasty boot to Jericho, taking him out of the ring. And then, of course, the brawl continues. Uh, Hager is able to at least get a couple of, uh, show some dominance over the match. But ultimately, in when Sammy tags back in, MJF, he's in the ring, gets a bit of a roll-up, does a dirty pin onto uh, Sammy for the 1-2-3, winning the match with Jericho and MJF officially being the tag team for the inner circle moving forward. And that closes out Dynamite. Yeah. Any thoughts throughout the entire match? I, I mean, throughout the entire show, any of the matches that stuck out to you or certain segments? I mean... There's there's a lot that stuck out here. Like obviously the big one of the big storylines going through here is obviously what's going on with Kenny and the Young Bucks. What's what's the relationship going to be moving forward? And again, big big question mark still hanging in the air, especially after the quote unquote assault on Don Callis. Um, the 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 Chuck Taylor is Miro's whipping boy is it's a heartbreaking story to watch and it's, it's, it, it gets tough to watch. Like some of these, some of these storylines are, are tough to watch in a bad way, but this one's tough to watch in a good way because it's just like, yeah, man, it's... man, this guy's just being absolutely humiliated. And you can tell orange Cassidy wants to do something about it, but there's almost nothing he can do at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues forward, especially as we head into beach break in a couple of weeks where Kip and, Penelope are supposed to be getting married, and what role is Chuck going to play in that? So that'll be interesting. And then, of course, obviously the inner circle and everything like that going on. Like I, I've seen the the clips and everything about how Jericho damn near killed himself on that lion salt and everything like that. And that seems to be about yeah. The only that thing. I didn't want to mention that because that looked a little nasty. He didn't even give himself momentum. He just went to the ropes to do it. Yeah. Which is which is disappointing, and and, and it, it's disappointing for a number of reasons. Number one, that it happened, and number two, that that seems to be all that the internet is focusing on in regards to what happened during that match. Not the story, not the overall match outcome. It's just, oh, Jericho needs to stop doing the lion salt. He's going to kill himself. He's too old. It's like, just shut up. Just leave the guy alone. He made one mistake. Like It's not like any of you guys haven't fucked up in your own lives, so just shut the hell up. And then obviously, yeah, the the Dark Order thing with Hangman, like it makes sense why Hangman doesn't is is gun shy about getting involved with another faction, especially after the way that things ended with the Elite. He's worried that either they're going to screw him over, or he's going to end up screwing them over, and it's going to end badly again. And it's I don't know necessarily that it's necessarily him not trusting the Dark Order. I think it I think he doesn't trust himself because I feel like he yeah, he blames what, that's himself. What I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, it feels like Hangman blames himself for what happened between him and the Elite, and he's worried that he's going to poison another group that he actually really likes hanging around with. So, who knows? Yeah. Who knows how that's going to shake up? But, I mean, it's one way or another, it's going to be damn entertaining to watch. And, I, I, like I said, I was surprised, like, aside from Don Callis, we didn't get any real impact involvement this time around. I thought for sure we'd see the Good Brothers show up to watch Private Party's match with... Uh, 
alongside Matt Hardy against Seidel and Top Flight and all of that. But we didn't get any of that, at least not this week. Oh, I did forget to mention in Dynamite, uh, one, one thing that happened, Penta got attacked. He got jumped in the back by the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega. And then, of course, it ends with Kenny Omega like shoving the boot, one of his boots into Penta's eyes. So it does kind of allude to maybe Don Callis kind of pu- pushed the blame towards Penta. But mm. at the same time, the way that angle went, it still looks like it's not off of the print. It's not. He did not take the suspicion off of the Bucks. Right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is the happenings this past week in AEW in Impact as well as in WWE as a whole. We've been going for quite a while, but we're finally ready to wrap things up. We have rambled, we have raged, and it's all been for the love of professional wrestling. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our little tirades here today. If you did, be sure to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any place where you get some awesome podcasts. Also, if you liked what you heard today, give us a review. You know, five stars is appreciated, but we don't want you to lie and, you know, just do it for our sake. Give us your honest opinion. Give us some feedback. And who knows, we might have a way for you guys to actually get in contact with us and share some of your feedback as well as maybe ask us a couple of questions coming up in the near future. I'll get uh, more details on that after I discuss it with my co-host. But overall, like I said, this week was interesting. Of course, we are moving into Royal Rumble season. Ryan and I both know what to expect going into our predictions for the Royal Rumble next week and what is awaiting on the other side. Of course, the loser will have to buy his opponent a meal. So we'll see exactly what happens there. But one way or the other, it should be fun. And I will go ahead and say right now that I plan on doing a live stream watch along to the Royal Rumble on my Twitch channel. So you guys are more than welcome to join us over there. It's called Tundra Wolf Gaming. You can just look it up on Twitch at Tundra underscore Wolf underscore Gaming. You can follow us there the night of the Royal Rumble, or at least me. I don't know if Ryan is going to be able to join me or not, but we'll see what we can do. But in any case, folks, that is going to wrap it up for us tonight. As I said before, we have rambled and raged all for the love of professional wrestling. We will see you guys next week. And until that time, hey, ref, ring the bell.